Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on jrootradio.com. I'm very excited today. This is the first time in a very long time that I believe I'm starting on time. All right, new month, new beginnings. We could, Baruch uh, we did Teshuvah maybe. It's a new year. Even though we started last week, but we're starting this week. Anyway, welcome to the Halakha Hour here on jrootradio.com. We are broadcasting live today, Rosh Chodesh, Mar Hajvan, Tafshin Ein Zain 5777. And uh, we are beginning, or not beginning really, even though last week we began with the Halakhot of Shnaim Mekaveh HaTargum and Hokle Israel. That's usually the class we usually do after Samhat Torah because we just finished from the Torah. Here we are going to go back to the Halakhot of Shabbat from the Benish Hai. So I would just like to give a very, very short introduction to the Halakha Hour, what we're all about, what we do, what we try to do, and uh, the ways to, you know, be involved with us. Number one is, we are on jrootradio.com. We also are on the app. You can also listen on the phone by dialing 718-506-9099. There's another number. I find the 718 easier, but there's another number as well for those who, you know, like to be cool and try a different number. The other number is 712-432-4217. To text in, that's the only number I'm going to give you so far because usually we don't take phone calls in the middle of the class because we usually have a lot to speak about and we want to cover everything before we take text mess- before we take phone calls. So to f- to phone in, you could I mean to text in sorry to text in three four seven nine two seven eight three nine eight. In general, the questions we do take are after the show after three o'clock. We take the phone call. We do take phone calls seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Today, I have to run out a little bit, but in general, we do take phone calls after the show. So please do not call in the middle. We probably will not answer the phone call, but the text, if we see it and it's on the subject and we are able to, or, or you know, we're not going to get up to it, we'll try to answer it. Again, 347-927-8298. If you don't reach us or we don't reply to you, you can always contact us at halakhahour at gmail.com. That's spelled H A. L-A-C-H-A-H-O-U-R at gmail.com and somebody would like a shout out you gotta call on Friday if you want any shout outs but anyway we'll tell you shout out for Shlomo because he's a chassid he's listening okay anyway let's come back now to the class today's class is not going to be on Chod Shabbat oh wait we said we're going to give an introduction today's the introduction is still on Halakha Hour what we try to do the Halakha Hour is we try to go through the Hilchot of Shabbat Using the Benish Hai as a source, and we build from there all the different types of, you know, the, we try to give you background, and we try to make this halakha class applicable to both Sfaradi and Ashkenazi. Even though Benish Hai is Sfaradi, we try to bring in as much as we can uh, from the older post scheme, because we know that our listeners out there, Baruch Hashem, J-Root, reaches all Jews, and that's the way the intention of J-Root is, that's the way it started, that's the whole staff, we all try to reach and accommodate all Jews. So we try to accommodate everybody. I apologize if I don't bring in all the opinions. You know, we could only do whatever we have. In any case, we go through the halachot of the Benish Hai on Hilchot Shabbat. And when it comes to special subjects, like, for example, the holidays, we take a little bit of a break and we discuss, you know, the current events, the holidays. Today, even though we're supposed to come back to Hilchot of Shabbat, unfortunately, there's something that was in the news that's the Jewish news, of course, because nothing else matters. In the Jewish news recently, there was something, and we are going to discuss it today. Unfortunately, it's an ugly thing. It was not. A, it's not a pretty thing. It affected many, many Sfaradi Jews in particular, especially Syrians, 
Jews, which I myself, you know, affected me as well. And therefore, we're going to be discussing that today in the beginning before we get to the Hakot of Shabbat to just see how long it's going to take us. Uh, well, if you heard the news or you did not hear the news, if you're a person that eats, there's a cheese out there that's called Syrian cheese. Why is it called Syrian cheese? Because, you know, like Turkish salad, it's not really from Turkey, you know, just uh, anyway, uh, it doesn't make a difference. It's a type of cheese, you know, there's American cheese, there's Munster cheese, and that comes from Munster, you know, every single one of these cheeses has its own style. In any case, there is a certain brand, there's a certain company that, you know, I'll tell you how it happened, how the way, one of the, a person a few days ago texted me, he says, Rabbi, did you hear about this cheese? And in the text it says that the, there's an alert, there's a company called, you know, I'm looking here at my pictures on WhatsApp, I see like maybe tons of pictures from all different people. It's called Fromage Gourmet, F-R-O-M-A-G-E. And this is a type of company, this is a company that makes such cheeses, it makes mozzarella, it makes Syrian cheese, it makes mainly it affects the Sephardic world because that's what they, you know, they're targeting. In any case, the alert was that if you have this cheese, it's tarif, you must throw it out and to, regarding kashering a kaling, kaling, you have to speak to your rav about it, what you should do about it. So, of course, as a rule, you know, things that circulate in text messages should not be followed without any, you know, verification. So just because somebody decided to send a mass text doesn't mean it's emit. And that was my initial reaction. So the person went on the OU website and he went to the kosher alert section and that's exactly what he found. The OU in the kosher alert section says, that being that this product is under two hajgahot, the hajgaha of Rabbi Echiel Babad, the tatik of Rav, and the hajgaha of the OU, both hajgahot have terminated their, their uh, hajgahot, and therefore everybody's advised to return the item, do not eat it, throw it out. Okay, so now certified by the OU. Okay, now we need to research a little bit. So I called up the tatik of Rav, Rabbi Echiel Babad, and I spoke to him and I wanted to get the story. And he told me that the story is as follows. When I'm saying this, you know, not with his permission, I'm saying this with his encouragement. He says, please, you're a Sephardic and you have to publicize this. So what happened is there's a, this company started basically and the person behind the company was running it through a distributor that was a Frumju. And the distributor has nothing, I just want to point out, the distributor has nothing to do with the problem. Everything was good until the summer when they started suspecting that perhaps, you know, something's going on. There's some foul play. The way it works, the way it works is that when you want to produce, you know, let's say cheese in this case or anything else, you know, everybody knows in business that either you're very, very big and you have your own factory that's producing constantly or if you're not so big. So the way you do is you go to a certain company, whether it's clothing, whether it's matzah uh, whether it's food, you go to a certain company. And you basically lease or rent out their, their machines, you rent out their equipment for a day, two, week, whatever you need to produce what you need to produce. And then you pay whatever you pay and then, you know, you go sell it. So by food, when you go to certain companies, uh, not Jewish companies, they come with their team. Their team consists of Mashgihim, the Rav Machshir's command, whoever the Hachshir is giving them. And then they go in and they kosher the factory, if you want to say, the lines, the pipes, and everything else. And then they produce whatever they want to produce because the people who did it beforehand, you know, obviously produce something that's not kosher. So they have to kosher everything in there. So what happened, so by this, by cheese in particular, whatever was made beforehand was made by goyim, and it's 
not kosher. So they came in, they would come in and they would kosher everything. And after they kosher everything, they bring their halav Israel milk. And after they bring the halav Israel milk and they mix it all together, and they have the cheese, everything is done, it's packaged. And then after the packaging, there's labeling. And those labels say on it the hashgaha and it's placed on the cheese. Now, over the summer, the hashgaha realized that production was slower. And they were wondering, they started suspecting what's going on. It's, you know, it's selling pretty well. Why should production be slower? So they contacted the owner, not the distributor, the owner. And the owner said that we're not making any so much runs because everybody's away in the summer. After that, what happened is, is that they realized that something's going on. They started checking and they wanted to win. They realized that production was being made more than what, was, what the Hajgaha was there for. So that means something is happening behind their back. Nobody knows what kind of milk without any hashgaha. And even if you tell me there's a Jew that's there, but the Jew who's doing it is the one who's cheating everybody because he's doing without hashgaha, without anybody, without any of the supervisions that he's not allowed to do without them. And therefore, they realize that this foul play over here, and according to the OU, the majority of the cheeses that were produced from the summer were without hashgaha. So therefore, we have a problem here called gevinat akum, cheese from the goyim, which is in Isur de Rabana, according to the Shach, it even it's, it's treated, although it's a rabbinical Isur, it's treated as if it's Asur min HaTorah. And therefore, the warnings came out. I don't know why it reached me so late. You know, usually we're up to date on this. I guess I've really been in my own cave the last couple of weeks. In any case, and now everybody found out about it. And now the question is, what do we do? We have to kasha the kalim. So now a lot of people were asking, including myself, doesn't the heter of Moshe Feinstein apply to this? So let's say a guy doesn't keep. Let's say the guy does not keep halal Israel. Okay, so you tell me what they use. They use milk, right? Now, the milk that they use obviously came from America. They're not using non-kosher milk. They're using cow milk, and cow milk is kasher. So if you don't want to keep it Moshe Feinstein, so there's a lot of confusion in this area. I want to point out something very, very important, and I'm going to bring you sources for this. And that's why we're taking the time. We're not just going to give you the warning. We, it's here. It's a halakha hour. We can explain the halakha on this. Is that Ramosh's Feinstein's heter of non-halab Israel does not apply to cheese. Let's go back a little bit. Give a little bit of a background. If you open up the Shohan Aruch in Yore De'am, Siman Kuf Tet Vav. There are three Saifim over there. There are three halakhot over there in Shohan Aruch. The first two are applicable or what's relevant to us. The first halakha speaks about milk that was milked by a goy without the Jew observing the milking or without Jew being around to make sure that the milking was done only from kosher animals. That's called halab shehalabo akum ve'en Israel ro'ehu. Okay? That's the first halakha. Halakha number two discusses gevinot hanukhrim, the cheese of the goyim. It's not, it's two different halakhot for two different reasons. The first halakha comes from the Gemara. The Gemara says that they were gozer. Hazal made a gezerah. They made a decree, a rabbinical decree, forbidding milk that was milked from by a non-Jew without any Jew watching him. Why? We are worried that perhaps he mixed in some milk from non-kosher animals. Listen, the guy has in his backyard, he has a goat, he has a few non-kosher animals, he has a camel. He says, listen, I'm selling by the bucket over here. So if I, you know, the guy needs to buy, he's going to pay by the bucket. Let me sell him two buckets. I'll mix some camel milk together with majority of uh, goat milk and he won't know the difference. So camel is not cashier. We have a halakha. 
היוצא מן הטמא, טמא. This is a halakhan shohan aruch. It's sourced from the Gemara. Whatever comes out of the animal, if the animal is tame, it's not kosher, then also the, 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 what comes out of it is also not going to be kosher. You can't say it's two separate things. You can't say the camel is not kosher, but it's milk. What do you want? Milk is, is fine. It's separate from it. No. If it comes out of a camel, it has a deen as a camel. So milk from a camel, milk from any non-kosher animal, from horse, whatever you like, is not kosher just like that milk came from. And it goes without saying, but we're going to say anyway, is that milk that comes out from a cow is kasher because the cow is kasher. Good? Okay. So that's the first thing we got to know. That's the halav. That's the milk. So once upon a time, all milk, if the Jew was not around to see that milk, all milk, every all milk has to be what we would call today in the market halav There's no such a thing as halabakum. Halabakum means tarif. So what's this concept today? I keep halab Israel. I don't keep halab Israel or Yehudi. Okay, this is based on the Psak of Rav Moshe Feinstein, which is really sourced from an earlier, you know, Rav Moshe Feinstein himself, although he's Mehadesh, he brought this Psak more to life in America, but the, really the Psak goes, you know, the sources of this Psak goes way back to one of the great poskimis, the Sfaradi Posek, the Prihadash. Now, Prihadash is one, you know, before I come to the Psak of the Prihadash, Prihadash is a rabbi that lived a long time ago, okay? The Prihadash was a Sfaradi Posek, but he was a Da'at Yahid, which means his opinion was not the opinion of the majority of the rabbis in his time or even after him. And in general, if you look in the, in the, in the Poskim, especially Sfaradi Poskim, we did not go with the Prihadash. Yes, there was such an opinion, but... In general, we did not follow the Prihadash's Hidush. Now, Moshe Feinstein, who went with the Prihadash, he basically, his psaq is followed by many people in America because he was the Marad Atra of here of America. And many people who today do not drink Halab Yisrael, uh, they are relying on Rav Moshe's Heter. Basically, the Prihadash says, if you have a barn where only, you know that there's only kosher animals there. That means they only have cows over there. They have no other animals you know, they are not kosher. They might have goats, but they don't have any camels or pig or horses or anything else. Um, the Pihadah says that even though there's no Jew watching him, since you know it's only coming from there, so if the reason is that maybe we're worried that he mixed not kosher milk, so what are we worried about? There's nothing here that's mixed. Now, it makes a lot of sense, but how come the post-game didn't go with this? And the answer is because Hazal made a gezerah. And if they made a gezerah, who are we to come and say that there were not gozer in this area? It makes a lot of sense. Well, maybe maybe Hazal's Gezerah applies. Maybe the decree that the rabbis made from times of the Gemara, from times of the Tanaim, excuse me, applies even, even in such a case. So therefore, that opinion was not accepted by much of the post-game. There was a fine scene, however, in the 50s and 60s, he says that that heter of the Prihadash, pretty much, he bases his heter on Milk that's produced in America. He says that since, in short, there's really a lot on this. I'm not here to discuss every detail. But he says in short that since the American law is that you could only have, you could only sell milk that's from cows. You're going to tell me today there's also camel milk that's imported from Saudi Arabia. But in general, the that's today a little bit more becomes it has, it has become a little bit popular. But really, the law is that the regular standard milk is all got to be from cows. So because of that, and on top of that, the companies might get fined if they mix 
non-kosher milk. I mean, not because it's not kosher, just because it has to be cow milk. They can't, they can't mix other milk without telling you. So, Rav Moshe Feinstein says, that's the greatest deterrence, just like a Jew who's around the uh, milk farm. And he's around, and the guy is scared to mix any non-kosher milk because he knows that if the Jew catches him, he's going to lose his parnasa, he's not going to be able to buy from him. So, too, the milk company, since they're scared that they might get fined by the government if they disobey the law, if they break the law by milking from other source, from other types of animals, they're not going to mix it. And that's good enough of a deterrence. And you could have milk that has been milked in America because it's supposed, it's supposed to come from cows and you, can, you don't have to assume that it came from something else. You could rely on that. And that's a major hadush. A lot of postkings did not go with it. A lot of the Ahronim in his generation and even afterwards did not go with the Moshe Feinstein. But you can't disagree that much, many of the people who eat what they call today halabstam, who has become known as halabstam, are mainly mainly relying on this hetir. Now, there's much discussion here, and there's a lot of arguments if this hetir is really what they use today. There's a lot to talk about, but in general, people who are not drinking what we call today halab Israel, uh, who are drinking halabstam, are relying on Rabbi Moshe Feinstein's hetir. So let's review very quickly in case you got confused. There are two types of milk out there. There's halab Israel and there's halab stam. People who keep halab Israel are not keeping a humran necessarily, according to the majority of the poskim. There are people who keep halab Israel. That is what the gzera is and was from the beginning of time. Is that the milk that a Jew is allowed to drink is it has to be supervised by a Jew. This doesn't mean the Jew has to watch him all the time, but it has to be supervised that the Jew has to make sure that it's coming from a kosher animal. Okay, the heter of Moshe Feinstein, which is the halab stam, that's what everything is being built on, the halab stam, is that as long as we know with certainty that it came from a cow, even if the Jew wasn't supervising it, that's also good enough. Now, Moshe Feinstein himself, I just want to point out, if you look in Igrot Moshe, helek het, which means yoredea helek dalet, siman hei, it's a very short teshuvah, really very short teshuvah. Okay, Siman Hey, he writes like this. Ibra, he says, I want to tell you, you should know, by the way. The, um, he says that although, although the heter of halab, he's given the heter of halab akum, ika ta'amim lehakel behalab alakua mehabrot, bemindina ashemidina hamidina asul lumhor halab sheshbo irub halab tameh. He says, even though you have a country, He's talking about it over there, Toronto and Canada. But he's talking, but it applies also to America. Even though you may have a country that has a law, that you're not allowed to mix milk from non-kosher animals. Still, there's, uh, although there's reasons you could be mekil, he says, however, this is only hurak bishata dahak. This is only when it's very necessary. Okay? And he says, even though there's, I'm going to read you word for word, Afgambe Toronto ika isur Even on Toronto also, they have a law that's forbidding the mixture of non-kosher milk. Ika is, uh, what's called? It does make a difference. It's still, you could only rely on this heter and not because it's just more, a little bit more expensive. That means, yes, we all know the halabi say costs a little bit more because of supply and demand. But that's not good enough of a heter to allow us now to just go ahead and buy. That's, this is the words of Ramosha Feinstein Sinman Hey. In any case, those who are relying are relying on Moshe Feinstein. They're not looking up inside. They have what to be so mechan, you could say. 
Um, and certainly the ones, you know, just get bothered that the ones who keep halal b'sayal are always considered mahminim. They're not really mahminim. They're doing aikal halakha. And what Moshe Feinstein says constantly that person should do himself that you should keep, you should drink only halal b'sayal. Anyway, put that on the side for a second. Now, the question is, back to our cheese. Well, I don't understand. What's the problem with this cheese? Okay, so this guy was a ganav. Okay, this guy cheated everybody. He's telling everybody it's halal Israel. So it's really not halal Israel because, listen, where's cheese come from? Cheese comes from milk. So even if you want to tell me it's not halal Israel, okay, at the end of the day, it's milk. And the milk in America only comes from cows. So what's the problem with the milk? There's no taref ingredients. There's no pig in it. And you are 100% correct. There is no non-kosher ingredient. However, the leniency of Moshe Feinstein does not apply to cheeses. Because in Sa'if Bet, in the Shulchan Aruch, which, again, it's not a Sephardic halacha. It's a Jewish halacha. This is a halacha that applies to all Jews. So, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, I'm not, not going to go through all the lists of all different types of Jews. Baruch Hashem, we're plenty, and we keep on making more, Baruch Hashem. But everybody, even Reform Conservative, by the way, they have to follow this halacha. I don't care if they say not. Don't listen to them. They don't know. Every Jew has to follow this halacha. It's exira from the, from the hachamim. The only Jews who don't have to follow this halakha are the ones where the mothers are not Jewish. Get it? Okay. Anyway, the halakha is Gevinot. I'm going to read it to you inside Shahan Aruch. Gevinot Hanukhrim, the cheese of the non Jews, of the Goyim. Asarum, the rabbis, Hazal forbidam. otam Because the way they curdle them, Amidim means make it stand. Just that you should know, I'm not making up words over here. If you take milk and you pour it on a table, guess what's going to happen? It's going to pour all over the place and you get beat up by your wife. But if you take milk and you curdle it, you turn it into cheese, and then you pour it on a table, it's going to stand. So ma'amidim means the process of curdling cheese and making milk into cheese. I mean, curdling milk and making it into cheese, right? So he says, in Shohan Aruch over here, that's muskam by all opinions. It's a mishnah mefureshet. Cheese that's made by goyim, is forbidden. You know why it's forbidden? Because, says the Shohan Aruch, the way they make into cheese is by placing it inside the lining of the stomach of an animal that is not kosherly slaughtered. That's a nevela. Let me explain to you. Once upon a time, the way they made cheese is that they would take the stomach of an animal, the lining of the animal, and they'll put the milk inside of it, and the enzymes from the lining of the stomach would curdle the milk and turn it into cheese. That's how it used to be once upon a time. In fact, till now, if you go to some places, when I was in Turkey and I went into the big shuk and over there, the big market over there, I forgot what it's called, it's called a bazaar or something, whatever it is. And over there, you know, I, they have a place selling cheese and you still see the stomach lining of the, of the, of the cow with a big, big block of cheese inside, you know, so this is a classic way of how they used to, it's nice to see you know, when you, you visit these kind of places, this is exactly how they used to make the cheese another way was to take a little bit of the lining and to throw it into a bucket of milk and then from the bacteria and whatever it is, you, you gotta be now a scientist over here, but um, a chemist and the enzymes give off whatever they give off and the milk turns into cheese, this is how cheese was classically made says the Shohan Aruch the reason why the cheese made by Goy is Asur is because this is the way they make it. Now you can say, okay, but we don't have that nowadays. Wait, wait, we're not done. One second, don't interrupt me. One of the advantages is that I'm only talking here, right? Okay. Continues. Shohan Aruch, he says, 
even if they would make this cheese, I mean, mean to say, if they would turn this milk into cheese through grass, grass is parv kasherit, grass is a natural ingredient, there's nothing wrong with grass. Even if they would mix the grass together with milk and thus turn it into cheese, as surah, it's still forbidden. That means the Shuharan Ruch is telling you, these, by the way, are the words of the Rambam also. Jaruch is telling you that the cheese is forbidden. You know why it's forbidden? It may, that, not because of the ingredients. Not because of the ingredients. Not because they mixed the non-kosher lining of the stomach. The reason started because they used to mix the lining of the stomach. But once they had that reason, Hazal made a All cheese is forbidden. That's it. The whole exception. All cheese is forbidden if it's made by a goy without the Jew being there. The Jew has to be the one there. I mean, you can have the goy mixing it as long as the Jew is watching and supervising that everything is done cashier. But I don't care if we know for sure that this guy is making cheese. We know this goy, Mr. Goy over here, Mr. G, comes and he only makes, um, we know that his ingredients are all kosher. But nobody's supervising, nobody's watching him put the rennet inside of the milk. We don't see anything. We don't, there's no supervision. That's asur. Even if we know he's going to get scared, he's not going to mix, it doesn't make a difference. Now, this is the Psaq of Shohan Aruch. It comes from the Rambam. I'm going to read you the Rambam inside as well. I want to make this very, very clear. I'm going to bring you a few more sources just to make sure that you're very clear. Beforehand, you should just know that there's a Mahlokit Rishonim, in ex- not Mahlokit Rishonim, really from the Gemara. Why am I going to Rishonim? From the Gemara. There's a Mahlokit in the Gemara. Many reasons are given in the Gemara why the cheese made by Goy is forbidden. Even when I know that all the ingredients made in that cheese is kasher. The, there's many different opinions in the Gemara. And I'm not going to go through them right now. But I'm going to read you the words of the Rambam. Ketab Rambam. Afilum en le'elu. Even if you don't have suspicion that the other reasons, you know, all the reasons are mentioned in the Gemara, even if that doesn't apply. For example, we know that they don't make it in the lining of the stomach. They use chemicals. They use grass. They use... Im- it's For example, says the Rambam, we know that the guy, the goy, the way the goy produced this cheese is by placing grass in it. And we know there's no non-kosher milk over here. Still, the geonim, the great rabbis that preceded the Rambam, that came before the Rambam, gave a psak that this cheese is forbidden. Why? Why? Their Hazal made a decree on all cheeses. Whether they made this cheese with something that's forbidden or they made it with something that's permitted. However, each cheese produced by Goyim or milk, milk by a Goyim. The any side without the supervision of a Jew, Makin we give him, we strike him. We hit him, Makat Magut. This means it's a rabbinical isur that comes with rabbinical lashes. Good. This is the source of the Shohana Ruch. This is a psak in Shohana Ruch. Siman Kuftet Vav Halakha Bet. And you can tell me it's a Sephardic thing. No, no, no. Hold on. Read. Viter in the Halakha and Saif Bet. The Ramah says, Vechen Hamminhag Ve'en Lefrotz Geder. This is a custom, and nobody's allowed to break the fence. Unless you have some old, old, old minhag, says the Ramah, but as Aharonim explained, really, nobody has this custom, and whatever, it's, it's a big discussion. 
We're not going to get into the words of the Ramah right now, but it seems to be universal. Everybody agrees. You're not allowed to eat from the cheese made by a goy. Yeah, you're listening? From cheese made by a goy without Jewish supervision. Now, you might think, oh, but the heter of Moise, no, Moise was matir. Okay, fine. You want to think the Moise is matir? Let me read you the Grot Moshe. The Grot Moshe, what we quoted above, I'm going to say it again, where it is, in Helek Hey of Yoredea, which is in the book, and if you have the whole set, it's Helek Hayt, in page Kuf Samachbet, in Saif Hey in Yoredea. He says like this, Vegam I'll give you know, he's talking about the people in Toronto at the time, this is like in 1968. So in the time when this Jewish company opened up, mean to say that a company that was only producing Halal Bisrael, so the prices went up a little bit. So people started buying non-kosher, not non-kosher, people started buying milk that's Halal Bistam. He says, however, there's no heter for, we know, the heter that Moshe says that I gave regarding the milk that comes from the companies, it doesn't apply to cheeses. They're forbidden for a different reason. They're forbidden because, not because we're scared that maybe he mixed non-Jewish milk, but it's forbidden because once upon a time they used to with Nevela and they made a gezera. Now regarding other cases of, let's say they use Halab stamp to make cheese, but under the supervision of Yisrael. It says, I integrate, look in the other sources. So he says, Why are people eating the non kosher cheese? He says, You know why? Because people are lenient by being by relying on Moshe Feinstein and eating the milk, excuse me, drinking the milk that's halab stam. So they think it also applies to the cheese because. Where does cheese come from? From milk. Where does the milk come from in America or North America? It comes only from kosher animals. So they think it's the same heter. But Moshe says it is not the same heter. Now, you want to see more mefurash? There's a book called Masoret Moshe. Okay? Mesoyus Moshe, if you know, like that. Okay? Anyway, look in Helek. I believe it's Helek Bet. Dafkuf Pevav. This book was written by Moshe Feinstein's grandson. And over there, he records things that he heard directly from his grandfather that may not have necessarily been recorded. He says there was once over there, he talks about a case where there was once a rabbi that wanted to take Rav Moshe Feinstein's heter and ex- on, on milk. That means the milk that Rav Moshe Feinstein said, okay, you could rely on the companies that, you know, even though it's not supervised by a Jew, somebody, some rabbi wanted to extend his heter also to cheese. So Moshe Feinstein told his grandson, I want you to write a letter to this rabbi and to tell him that he's wrong. It's not correct. And he says it clearly over there that this heter does not apply to cheese made by non-Jews. It does not. It only applies to cheese made with Jewish... Super, uh, excuse me. Only, Moshe Feinstein says it only applies to milk that was milk, but not the cheese. So now everybody asks me, now, I've, you don't understand how long I've been on the phone and back with people and, and mushkihim and different people. So uh, I'm prepared not because I wrote notes. I'm more prepared because of uh, the questions that I've been getting in the last couple of days. In any case, the question that usually follows, hold on a second. So Rabbi, what is, what's the shot with O-U-D on cheese? Now, how are they giving a heter to O-U-D? So the answer is, O-U-D on cheese means that the milk is halab stam 
But the way they make the cheese, right, the companies are making the cheese, it's done with Jewish supervision. And in fact, I called up the OU to verify. You could all do the same thing. I don't have the OU's number, but call up the OU and verify. And I told them, can I ask you, every cheese that the OU produces, there's a Mashiach day, he says, oh yeah, we have people in far out places for all these non-Jewish companies that are producing cheese on a daily basis where the Jews there supervising or putting in the rennet and uh, all these companies that the OU gives hechsheran, they, you know, for cheeses that is, there is a, a constant Jewish supervision in those places. Okay, this is the from the OU. There's no such a thing as cheese kasher because of, you know, without any Jewish supervision because we are Samech and Moshe Feinstein. Even OU that gives OUD. So what's Pshad OUD? It means that the milk was not Halab Israel. The milk was taken with the relying on Moshe Feinstein's opinion. And then they put it and they mix it together with the, um, what's it called? They mix it with the remnant or whatever and they make cheese out of it. But again, in order for it to be kasher, has to be under the cheese that is, it has to be under Jewish supervision. Okay. Now, we come back to our story. So, what happened over here? The person was producing the cheese without supervision in a non Jewish factory that produces cheese. We don't know what the Hekshe Kelim, we don't know what's going on with the Kelim, with the utensils, the pipes, and the machinery that was used over there to. You know, nobody cleaned anything. There was no, certainly no mashgiach. And not only that, the person who's producing this, since he's doing it under the mashgiach's nose, will be behind his back without anybody realizing he lost his name anut, he lost his, uh, he lost his uh, trust. And as a result, oh, unfortunately, again, it's a very sad thing, but many of us consumed this cheese. From the cheeses that were produced from the summer and onwards, if you have any of those cheeses, are to be considered since the majority is made without hashgaha, they're considered gevinot akum, cheese of the goyim. Again, even though the ingredients are kasher, it doesn't make a difference. Hazawa gozer. Unless you think that this is very lenient. The shach brings down, there are people who argue, but the shach brings down that this cheese, that's, even though it has all kosher ingredients, if it was done without Jewish supervision, it has a deen as if it's deoraita. That means we don't say safik Okay, now let's continue. Okay, somebody just sent the text. I hope you were listening the whole time because I explained your answer. The come back over here. The yeah, back to the back to the cheese at hand. So as a result, the cheese was sold, and we have to cleanse it now. There's some. There's a little bit. Of, there's a kavahim brings down from the Rambam, as we just quoted the Rambam ourselves. Is that anybody who has who who eats halab? I mean, excuse me. Anybody who eats cheese made by goyim on purpose bemezid makin otomakan mardut. Question is, what about if a person does it beshogeg? Uh, what if a person eats it beshogeg? So the Gavayim quotes the levush that says salich litanot yom ehad. Oh boy, you have to fast one day. Does that mean all of us who ate it have to fast? And the answer is, no, you don't have to fast. Why? This is not called shogig. This is honest. What are we supposed to do? We were fooled. We were all tricked into it. You know, the guy sold his halab Israel. He ran it. Baruch Hashem, we call him, you know, I guess, uh, I don't say, it depends how early it is. People consumed it. It's very unfortunate when these kind of things happen. But at the end of the day, it was anus. If any of us even had a havamina that there's maybe a suspicion, nobody would touch it. Unfortunately, we didn't. 
So it's not considered anu, it's not considered shogeg, it's considered anus, you don't have to fast. But the issue now becomes what about the people, what about the utensils that were used? It's not kosher. So we know that when you use something that's not kosher, you know, the utensils also have to be koshered up. So what do we do? Okay, so for this rabotai, the halakha is as follows. If you used if you used it with cold, that means you took the cheese, you sliced it, you put it in your sandwich. So the knives, the shredders, very simple. You wash them very well, and you make sure there's no residue on it, and you're good. If you have a good dishwasher, that's good enough already to take it out of it. Number two, what if you cooked it? When you cook, it's a little bit more complicated, because when you cook something that gets to the level of heat and starts to melt, when the cheese starts to melt, already now the flavor goes into the walls of the pot, as we explained by Nechot Pesach, that's what happens whenever you cook anything, the flavor of what are you cooking goes into the walls of the pot. So now the question is going to be, what would be when people cooked? They cooked with this cheese. So the halakha is as follows. If you cooked in a pot, so then the... Okay. Fine. When you cooked in a pot, yeah. so then the halakha is you take the pot and you do hagala on the pot. Because since it was absorbed through liquid, the way it comes out is through liquid. So what do you do? Hagala, how do you do hagala? We have videos online on J I hope it's still on the J radio website. Over there, how to do hagala. In short, you take a pot of bubbling water, or take a big pot, put water inside of it. Better, some opinions say, to add a little bit of soap in there. Wait 24 hours from the last time you used it for this cheese, and then put it inside of the pot, while it's bubbling and immerse the whole thing inside of it and that's it you have to dip it three seven times that's nice and kabbalistic has nothing to do with hagala once you do it one time you're good just make sure that the whole entire pot plus the handle goes inside of it that's if you cooked with liquid if you baked and a lot of people use it also to make borekas now i'm getting a question over here which company again the company is fromage cheese f-r-o-m-a-g-e that's a company it's uh, all the stores are making a recall Everybody's asking that if you have this cheese, bring it back, you'll get a full refund. Woohoo! All right, that's good, that's good to have. Any case, so bring back your cheeses. It's you should stop eating it. If you have already if you mixed it already with the food and it wasn't baked yet, I'm sorry. It's it's unfortunately it's a loss, but it's a loss that Hashem will repay you back. There's no such thing, nobody can rip you off. Get that as a big klal. Whoever does rip you off, Hashem promises to give back. You know, Mazat Hashem. You know, for this over here, Mesut Nefesh, for Kashrut, Hashem will pay you back in a thousand times more than Hashem. I come back over here. Anyway, in koshering, now the next thing. The next thing is, people also bake in the oven this cheese. So, I spoke to the Tartuk of Rav. He holds that really, if you just, you kosher the oven, it, he holds it's even a humrah to kosher the oven. But the best way we tell you is like this. If you baked it in the oven, being that, you know, for example, you place it in the dough, and that, and from that dough you put it in the oven and you baked it, so you have now what we call borekas, right? So in that case, what you should do, the best best way to be say all opinions to cover yourself in all opinions is do the following: take your oven. If you have a self-clean mode, press the self-clean mode on. And what happens when you press the self-clean mode on is that the broil and the bake works together. The fire from the top works, and the fire from the bottom also works. Okay, and both of them work together, and what happens is 
the heat rises in the oven so much it gets so 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 hot until the point that already you know it gets very high temperatures and according to a lot of post scheme that's called libun hamur that causes the oven according to all opinions now if you have any pots by the way that you want to kosher you can throw them in at the same time this is if you have a self-clean mode how long do you have to do this for you don't have to do the full cycle of three four hours one hour is already good enough even if you don't have self-clean mode and, you know, if you have self-clean, don't rely on the, other, on the what I'm telling you in the following. Only if you don't have a self-clean mode, what you can do is put on broil and let it go on high. And that's it. Let it, I guess what we call, burn the oven. And that's it. It'll cleans out the whole thing. I'm not going to get into the details why, but this is the way you should do it. And again, if even on, uh, what's it called? Even if you want to kosher your pats in the oven, while you're koshering your oven, you could do that. That's what we call... A libun kal. Libun kal works the same as hagala. So if you put it together, you put the oven when you're burning your oven, as they call it, when you're koshing your oven, you could put your pots inside and you could kosher it at the same time. What's next? What's next is the next question is what about now the other utensils I'm using while cooking? For example, let's say I have a pot on the fire and I'm making this, what we, I think, calzones they call it, and over there I'm mixing with it the spoon. What do I do with that spoon? So the spoon, since it was in the clearly shown, which means it was in the pot that was on the fire, and you were koshering up the pot, I mean, excuse me, you were cooking and you stuck the spoon inside, and obviously it absorbed from the non-kosher cheese. So you have to do hagala also on that spoon. Uh, but the trick, the question is, my spoon, I don't know what to do with my spoon. I don't, which spoon? I don't know which spoon I used. I have 20 spoons. You want me to kosher all my spoons? And maybe I used a fork. I'm not sure. So no. If you believe that the times that you used the spoons or whichever spoon they use when the pot was on the fire was only a minority. You only know it's only going to be one or two spoons. You know, you know it's not going to be so much and it got mixed all up where you look at your spoons now and you know that you have the majority of the spoons are what's it called? Kasher. Mean to say they were not did not come in contact with this type of cheese. So that's it. They're batel berov medin yabesh beyabesh. You want to be mahmir and also do a gala on them? No problem. You can do you can do a gala on them but you don't have to. You 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 don't have to. My Kaladin, you don't have to. Now that is the spoons. Some people ask, okay, what about my plates? So for Sfaradim, anyway, we hold that glass doesn't absorb. So even if you cooked in a Pyrex, I just want to point this out. Maybe I shouldn't point it out earlier, but if you cooked in a Pyrex, that's the heavy glass bowl or dish, or if you served it even in a bowl of um, you know, or regular plate, glass dishes, all that doesn't need kashering. We hold that doesn't absorb. If it never absorbed, so you don't have to kasher it to get the flavor out. So Pyrex and any glass plates don't need any kashering, even if you know for Vadai, they were, came in direct contact. Besides that, even most of the time, by the time it comes to your plate, it's probably Kli Shlishi, maybe at most, maybe Kli Shen even. Um, so if it's Kli Shlishi, mean to say, you took it from the pot, you put it in the serving bowl, which is probably glass, and then from the serving bowl, you put it into your regular plate, even though it was ceramic. You don't have to throw your ceramics. It's already klishlishi. Klishlishi does not give over flavor. You don't have to throw out your ceramics. What else do I need to talk about? Um, oh, the pens. The baking pens, right? People have baking pens in the house. They spray a little bit of oil on it. Then they put the, the what's it called? let's say the burekas, the dough with the cheese inside, and they cook with it. So now, really, like this. 
If you're coaching your oven, the best is stick your pans inside and let it be coached at the same time. You have enough to rely on even if you don't have a self-clean mode. If you have a self-clean mode, kalva Why? Because even if the cheese does melt out of the borekas or out of the dough, when it pours on top of the pan, so then it's melted. And being that it's melted, it has a deen of lah, because in order to be considered that's able to give over flavor, it has to be yatsal hirboa. And when it turns into yatsal hirboa, it's usually going to melt. And that's considered lah. And once it's lah, so then you could kosher either by hagala or even libunkal. If you're doing self-clean mode, that's called libun hamur. Okay? So anyway, that's going to kosher it regardless. If what I said was too complicated, I only said it for those people who have the question, who may have a question on what we said. Don't worry. But otherwise, if you're following directions, koshering it, you know, if you have pans, you kosher by sticking it into the oven. And if you always used wax paper, so you don't have this issue. Or if you're using anyway disposable, so anyway you have no problem. You're not putting it directly on the grates in the oven. You're putting it on these disposable tinfoils, which have thrown out anyway by now, hopefully. So you don't have this issue. So this is how you kosher the kelim. Again, the pots, you could do hagala. The oven, you, you burn on with self-clean mode. If you want to do them all at the same time by putting the pots inside, you could do that as well. The spoons that you know that you used when the pot was on the fire, you could do hagala on it. You could kosher in such a way. The other spoons that you're not sure, if you, as long as you know the majority of them were not used on the fire, so then they're considered batel berov. You don't need to kosher them. Okay, I think... We have discussed uh, pretty much the main halakhot. Um, yeah, that's it pretty much. it's We have a little bit of more time. We're going to jump a little bit to... Oh, actually, no, no. I'm looking a little bit over here. Actually, one more thing. One more thing. Unfortunately, now what's going to happen is after such a thing, it's very, very sad. Unfortunately, these kind of things happen every once in a while. You know, we we hope, we try, we think we're eating kosher. And we, we assume that we're eating kosher. In this case, clearly we're anus. We're relying on the hajgahot. But a lot of times, unfortunately, people get very upset at the hajgaha and everything else. We have to be very careful. You know, if we don't know the facts, we got to be careful also that as important as it is that we have to be careful with what is coming into our mouths, which is kashrut. We have to be careful also with, with what is coming out of our mouth, which is hajgahot of dashonara. We have to be very, very, very careful. Asul dashonara is also the writer. And we start pointing fingers and blaming, oh, it's this store and it's that. We told you the story as good as we know it. When I heard the story, the first thing I did was go back to the source and find out the story from the source. And Rabbi Baba told me, the first thing is, thank you very much for calling me. Thank you for going to the source. And it's not the first time this happens, unfortunately. It's not the first time that we hear, sometimes it's rumors, mamash, lies. And we hear things about different hajgahot and we hear things about different companies. Rabotai, don't just rely on what you hear from people. And especially from a text message. It happens to me, like I said, this text message is verified. But stop to just rely and suddenly to carry it over, you have to be very, very careful that you check with the source. Here, there's, for example, in such a case where we know that there's a share on it, or you, or you, you just pick up a phone and call them. You could Google their phone number and call them. And if you cannot reach a certain hajgaha, go to your Rav and let your Rav call them. Let's not jump to conclusions on certain stores or hajgahot or certain stories. Not everything that comes out, we should always jump and say, oh, that, well, hold on a second, verify the story. Once the story has been verified, so we got to go next to our rabbis and ask them, okay, what's the next step that we do? It's very, very important that, you know, we 
again, it's very sad. It's very tragic what happened. And it's very unfortunate. Listen, I'm also affected by it. And, and it's, it's horrible that, you know, you fed so many people. Things people are very careful in their Kashrut and now you go play games, right? And it's, it's sad that there are people out there like this, but we are, we found ourselves in it. Let's try to not, you know, not to add Isuni from our own. And that's why Bazat Hashem, we show that we're careful with what's coming out of our mouth. Hashem Bazat Hashem will be Mizakeas with the Siyatad Dishmaya, that we're careful with what Hashem will protect us from what things are coming in our mouths. I just wanted to point that out. It's, I feel it's very, very important because unfortunately, all these things, you know, when they happen, so there's a lot of talk and a lot of finger pointing and everything else. Deal with the issues at hand. Let's you know, clean up the dishes. Let's clear what we have. Let's kosher what we need to kosher. And let's not, um, you know, hospital fall into bigger messes, you know, with our tongues, with our mouths. In any case, um, really we should go back to the Chot of Shabbat, but we have very, very little bit of time. So, we're going to continue next week. I'm going to stop a little bit earlier today. If you have to reach me, I know there's a few text messages. I'll answer them uh, very soon. If you have, if I cannot reach, if you cannot reach me, call right now for the last few minutes. I'll be in the studio seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. If you, if I already stepped out, then you could call. You could email us at halakhahour at gmail.com. If you're listening to this at night, so that's your only option. Just email us halakhahour at gmail.com. Actually, there's one thing over here in the text. I thank you. I have to point it out. I have to, uh, you know, tell everybody microwave. How do you kosher a microwave? So there are different opinions about a microwave, but the way you could rely on the following opinion is you take a styrofoam cup or microwavable cup and you put inside of it water and better to put a little bit of also of, uh, what do you call it? Palm olive or one of these detergents. Put it inside and put it on the highest number. means the longest time that you would usually heat up the microwave for such a product. So let's say you know that you never warmed up such a cheese for more than three minutes. So put it for three minutes, three minutes and 20 seconds on the high in the microwave. You'll see after three minutes on the, what's it called? Uh, three minutes and a half, you'll see the whole water evaporate and clean up. And make sure everything's clean inside. What about a panini press? Very good question. Panini press really has a little bit of an issue. But usually panini press, you can have dough or bread and then there's cheese inside. And when you make the sandwich, if the cheese is going to come out, what's touching is really only the bread, right? So that you have what to rely on because it's not direct. You can say it's another keli already. There's, there are sources to rely on, especially in Makom Hefsin. When the cheese did melt from the bread and it came on the panini, so over there it's considered lah. Lah, something that's lah, you could be makshir through hag'ala. So a lot of panini presses actually have the option of you, you could take out those plates and just be makshirat to hagala. Well, like we said, with the pots, you could also put in the oven as you're koshering it. Um, I think that's it for now. Again, if you want to reach us, you can call in the station right now. We thank you, Iran, for helping us, you know, as usual. We thank Rav Nisim for hosting us. We thank you for listening. We are, Again, it's unfortunate that we have to you know, report this, but this is what happened. This is the Metsi'ut, Amazat Hashem. We should be protected from uh, such things again. Again, the company is Formage Cheese, F-O-R-M-A-G-E. And specifically the ones that were purchased from the summer and afterwards, that's the ones that have the problem. We'll see you next week, Amazat Hashem. We're going to talk good things. Shabbat, ah, oh, wonderful Shabbat, good things. And thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, hearing us. We'll see you next week. Shabbat Tov. Until then, Chodesh Tov. And Shabbat Tov and Shabbat Shalom.